Why don't you follow along as I read from Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray again. Our Father, we give you thanks for this book. We give you thanks that in it we have you speaking to us. We have your word. We have the thoughts of God. We have the heart of God expressed, the mind of God expressed that in this book we can know you. In this book we can draw near to you. In this book we can, we can grow in our love for you. And so thank you for this. And we pray that your spirit would come this morning and that he would open the eyes of our hearts, that he would open our ears, and that he would enable us to hear, to understand what you are saying so that we can live as your people in the world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm curious what comes into your mind, maybe what came into your mind just a couple minutes ago when you hear about the book of Revelation. When you hear that we're turning to the book of Revelation, I'm curious what comes into your mind. Maybe you think about the end of the world. When I, when I was in high school, in the town where I grew up, there wasn't a lot going on, and so my friends and I would see, we'd see a movie every Friday night. And there were not 52 movies worth seeing that would come out every year. And so we ended up seeing a fair number of movies that were not worth seeing. But it's just Friday. It's what we do. And one of those was called End of Days, which somehow twisted a, a verse from the book of Revelation to predict that Satan would be loosed in New York City and he could only be stopped by Arnold Schwarzenegger. So maybe, maybe, those, maybe bad movies like that are what come into your mind when you think of the book of Revelation. Maybe you feel confused. Maybe when you hear that, you, you think, I have tried to read that. I have opened it. I have, I have given it my best shot. But I just had to throw up my hands and admit, I have no idea what's going on here. There are trumpets and bulls and beasts with multiple heads and swords coming out of people's mouths. And, and what is going on here? And you've just, you've just decided, I'm just going to steer clear of the book of Revelation. Maybe the book of Revelation fills you with fear. 
It has terrifying pictures of God's judgment culminating in a lake of fire. And you've read that and you've thought, I don't know how to reconcile that with the God of love, the God who sent his son to die for us. Revelation is this great mystery to us. It's God's word, so we know it must be good, and yet we're not sure how to get the goodness out of it. And Christians, Christians through history, especially suffering Christians, have actually found Revelation to be one of the most beautiful books in the Bible. I mean, it could just bring you to tears. And our unfamiliarity with it, it robs us of so much joy. We, just, we don't know all that's in here, all the good that's here. Revelation was written by John, the Apostle John, John the disciple of Jesus, John who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote the letters we call 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Same John, John wrote the book of Revelation. And he was writing to churches, seven churches, in the first century, the end of the first century, that were under persecution. They were beginning to suffer for their faith. The culture was, was taking notice of them and turning against them. And, and as, the, as this danger grew, as their faith uh, cost them work, as it cost them friends, as they saw brothers and sisters being put into jail. There was this temptation they experienced to just kind of fade into the background. Maybe not abandon their faith altogether, but just kind of downplay their distinctiveness. Just, just stop living distinctively Christian lives. Stop speaking about Jesus. Just keep their head down and go along to get along. And I wonder if you ever feel that temptation you who are Christians. I, do you ever wonder whether living this way is really, really worth it? I was talking with someone this week, and we were, just, we were just relating over this experience that we've had, and we've seen other people have, that when you become a Christian, you think, well, now, now God is my Father. He's just going to fix all my problems. He's just going to make everything better. And you find, actually, that trusting in Jesus has made a lot of things harder, it has made a lot of things worse. It introduces all sorts of new problems. I don't know if you've ever done this thing um, like in a, in a hot tub or a circular pool where kind of everybody in the pool starts walking the same direction and you get the water circulating. It's going faster and faster. Then you turn and try to walk against it and it just almost takes your legs out from under you. I don't know if you've done that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the childish one who still, as an adult, does that. But that's, that's a lot like what it's like to become a Christian. You, you, you trust in Jesus, you turn and start living for him, and you realize that you were actually just going with the flow. You were, you were going with the flow of sin and the world, and now that you turn to go against it, there are all kinds of new difficulties. There are things that, that you used to do at work, that you were asked to do at work, that were no big deal before, but now your conscience won't let you do them. And your friends are giving you a hard time because there are things you used to do with them that now your conscience won't allow you. You have no appetite for. You don't even really want to be around, and they don't understand. Suddenly, beliefs that you always made fun of, that you just found incredible, suddenly now you're having to admit, actually, I, I believe that. And your family just, they can't believe it. They can't believe what's happened to you. And, and it's hard. Do you ever wonder, is, is this worth it? Revelation is God's yes to that question. Yes. Following Jesus is worth it. In this book, Jesus appears to John and he gives him a series of visions of heaven to write down and send to these churches that are being persecuted to give them courage and to help them stay faithful to him. And we're going to look at just one of those visions this morning, the one that we read. So in this passage, we're going to see three truths to fuel our confidence in God and our faithfulness to him. And the first is God will preserve his people through the troubles of life. So John has this vision that we read, this vision of this great innumerable multitude gathered around the throne of God. 
But he doesn't, he doesn't know who these people are. He doesn't know what the vision means. He sees it, but he doesn't know what it means. And, this, and an elder, it says an elder, that's probably an angel, an angelic being that worships before God, says to him, who are these? Who are these, who are these people in white robes? From where have they come? And John doesn't know. John says, sir, you know. And, and the elder tells him, he says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. So what is the great tribulation? Well, tribulation is just a big Bible word for the troubles that we experience in this life as Christians. Sometimes that word is used in a real general way, just the general troubles and sufferings of living in a fallen world. But more often, it refers to the troubles we experience specifically because we're Christians. That's how John uses it earlier in the book. In in chapter 1, verse 9, when he's introducing himself, he's writing this letter, he says, that he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. He's saying, I'm your partner in tribulation. I'm being persecuted too. John, John is writing this letter from exile. He's on an island in the Mediterranean where he was banished for preaching about Jesus. He's, I'm your partner in the tribulation. This is costing me something too. It's, it's, tribulation is trouble we're experiencing specifically because we're Christians. And I struggled preparing this sermon, because I always want to show you the relevance of God's word, how it applies to our lives today, how it connects right here where we live. And I wondered as I was preparing this, are we experiencing tribulation? Are we, we, Sunrise Community Church, are we suffering because we're Christians? There's no question that we're suffering. There is is abundant suffering in this room and in this church. You're suffering illnesses, and illnesses of children, and, and the deaths of parents, and unemployment, and addictions, and struggling marriages, and loneliness. Life is not easy for us, and this passage is something to say to that as well. But are we suffering because we're Christians? Are you? Now, surely part of why this is different for us is we live in Cayman, which is, it's got a, a strong Christian history. We're not living in the Roman Empire. But is it possible that life for us is easier than it should be because we're not living distinctively Christian lives. That we're, we're going along with ethical compromises at work. Just It's what everybody else is doing. That we're pursuing promotion and money in the same way that everybody else is. That we, we feel embarrassed to talk about our faith because we're, we're afraid of not seeming like everybody else. We're afraid of seeming silly or backwards or intolerant. Is that possible? Is there any difficulty in your life of which you can say, this trouble has come upon me because I'm a Christian? And and please know that I'm not coming down on you because I've been asking myself the same question. Almost everyone at the end of my street knows that I'm a pastor. And if I'm honest, though, I haven't intentionally engaged in conversation with them to know if they know Jesus. And if they don't, to tell him, to tell them what he's done for them. I find myself, I just go along to get along as well. The book of Revelation expects that being a faithful Christian in this life will be hard. People won't like what we believe or how we live. We won't fit in. And Revelation expects that life for Christians will get harder and harder until a time that it calls the great tribulation. We have, we have tribulation, we have trouble now, But there will be a great tribulation when it will be incredibly costly to be faithful to Christ. And that's what Revelation chapter 6, before this chapter, is all about. 
And the great tribulation will end with the coming of the final judgment of God. When God, who has been so patient with a world opposed to him, who has been extending history so all nations can hear about Jesus and turn to him, when God will finally say, enough. Enough of this world rejecting me and rebelling against me. Enough of this world mistreating my beloved people. Enough violence and injustice and immorality. Enough. And in perfect holiness, with perfect justice, he will judge the world and all who don't belong to him. This is, this is what John says in chapter 6. Just the chapter before this. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. This is what happens at the end of the Great Tribulation. It says, The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Revelation expects that it will be increasingly difficult to live faithfully because the world will grow in opposition to God until he comes in judgment. And on that day, people will prefer to be buried in a landslide than to face him. They will call for the mountains and the rocks to fall on him because they don't want to stand before the one who sits on the throne and the lamb. This is real. This is going to happen. And the question that they ask is the one that rings in our ears. They say, who can stand? Who can stand? Who can endure the troubles of life? Who can pass through God's judgment? And Revelation 7 is the answer to that question. Because look at verse 9 again of chapter 7. This is what John sees. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. What were they doing? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were standing. They had come through the great tribulation, and they were still standing. They, John tells us that they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That's a symbol in the Bible of victory of triumph. They had, they had overcome. The opposition of the world did not destroy their faith. They, they came through the judgment of God and they were standing. They were not destroyed. Why not? Who are these people? The elder tells us in verse 14, he says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Those who make it through the troubles of life, those who, those who don't face the judgment of God, are those who belong to Jesus. They have had all their sins washed away in his blood. John tells us in his gospel that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, do you guys remember the story of the Exodus? God's people in the Old Testament were in slavery in Egypt, right? And God sent these judgments on Egypt because Pharaoh would not let his people go. So the, the Nile River turned to blood. There were just, it was just crawling with frogs and gnats and flies, skin diseases. It was awful, right? It was, it was, in, it was incredibly difficult. It was this judgment God was pouring out on Egypt. And the last and the worst plague was what? Do you remember? 
the death of the firstborn, right? That if Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go, then the firstborn son in every family in Egypt would die. Except God said to his people, this judgment will not touch you if you take a spotless lamb and you take the blood of the lamb and you you paint it over the door of your house. And if you do that, my judgment will pass over you, right? Their lives were saved by taking shelter under the blood of the lamb. And so it is here. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. So if we trust in him, God's judgment passes over it, passes over us. We don't face it. We don't, on the day when people say, they cry to the rocks to fall on them, we will be safe. We will pass through because we have been washed in the blood of the lamb. We'll have nothing to fear. Do you have this confidence? Can you say, though I am a sinner, though I have sinned, though I still sin, though I I will sin, I am clean in God's sight and have no fear of judgment because I belong to the Lamb. Can you say with the hymn writer, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Can you say that? Those who can say that can also know that no trouble in this life will destroy their faith. Not persecution, not temptation, not illness, not grief, not death. God will preserve them through it all. Those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb overcome Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We are safe in the hand of God. Didn't we just sing that? When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Can you say that? These multitudes coming out of the great tribulation, you know what they're not saying? They're not saying, yes, I did it. I came through because I'm so strong. I came through because I'm so good. What are they saying? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. They're saying, God saved me. God preserved me. God brought me through. I thought it was going to end me, but here I am. I'm around the throne. Salvation belongs to our God. All praise to him. And and when they do, don't you love how just all of heaven breaks out in song? Verse 11. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever Amen. Listen, what you're going through, if you're a Christian, what you're going through is not going to destroy your faith. Whatever it is. Trouble at work. Trouble at home. Trouble in your body. Whatever it is, it won't destroy you. God will bring you through. Salvation belongs to him. It doesn't belong to you. And despite appearances, the the church in the world is not going anywhere either. It will continue to grow 
and spread despite all opposition until the end of time. God will preserve his people through all the troubles of life. And I could just stand there and, and just go back over that again and again all day, but we, we have got to move on. So God brings us through all trouble, and what does he bring us into? Secondly, God will bring his people into eternal peace in his presence. So he brings us through all trouble, and then what awaits us when we come through? Look at the beauty of these verses, verses 15 to 17. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The lamb is their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now part of the beauty of heaven is what's not there, right? He says that, that we'll never hunger or thirst anymore. Complete provision, every need met, no more evenings spent looking at the bank balance trying to figure out where the money's going to come from. Literally no worries forever. And he says there's no danger from nature. He says that the sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. They, this, was, this was the Middle East, right? This is a place, at this time, you could be caught out on a road somewhere without water, you can't find a well, and that's just it for you. You're exposed to the, you, you, you don't make it, right? He's saying that we'll never have to fear nature again. No earthquakes, no hurricanes, no floods. And he says there are no tears there. God wipes away every tear. No more sadness, no mourning, no pain, no loneliness, ever, forever. But as wonderful as that is, what's not there isn't nearly as important as what is there. Because what is there? Who is there? Therefore, they are before the throne of God. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The great joy of heaven is that God is there. God shelters us with his presence. Jesus shepherds us for all eternity. We enjoy the fullness of his presence, his, his love, his tender care, without interruption forever. We never have to wonder again, are you there? Can you hear me? How long is this going to go on? We'll spend eternity before his face, enjoying his love, serving him, and praising him. Whether you're a Christian or not, I, suppose, I suspect that you know deep inside you that this world is not how it's supposed to be, right? You don't, you don't turn on the news and see there thousands of people dying in an earthquake and a tsunami, children having to flee from genocide. You don't see governments who are corrupt, starving their own people. You don't see that and think, this is fine. Survival of the fittest, right? More for the rest of us. This is just the way it goes. We see that and we think, that's not right. Why? Because we were made for this. For a world without lack. For a world without war. For a world of perfect love and rest. We were made for peace. And only God can bring us into this. Thousands of years of human history has shown that we can't do it. We tell ourselves, if we, can just, if we can just get everybody educated, if we can just get free markets, if we can just elect the right people, then we're going to have peace. Then everything's going to be fine. And it never happens. Only God can bring us into this. And for everyone who belongs to him, who's been washed clean, he will bring us into it. Now, my wife Kim likes spoilers. 
She likes to know the end of the story, right? Before we're going to see a movie, she wants to know who lives and who dies and who did it. She does not like suspense. She does not like to be surprised. I'm the opposite. If I'm going to see a movie, I don't even want to watch the trailer. I want to come in completely blank and just be surprised and delighted. But I I can imagine how if I were a character in the story, it would be really helpful to know how it's going to end. I would want to know, if I'm in the story, to know that I come through in the end that I make it, that I live happily ever after. Revelation 7 is God's spoiler for the end of history. He wins. His people come through. We make it. We live happily ever after. If you're a Christian, whatever you're going through right now, it won't last. It might last for a while. It might last for the rest of your life. But in the scheme of eternity, that's not actually that long. It will end, and then it will be done forever. Revelation tells us that God is on his throne right now. There's nothing in your life happening because God means well, but he's a little overwhelmed. Nothing comes to you except through his hand. He is on the throne. He is in complete control right now, and he will bring you through all the troubles of life into perfect peace in his presence. And we could probably stop right there and just start singing, but there's one last element of this passage we haven't touched, and we'll miss something incredibly important if we don't look at that briefly. So finally, God will bring his people from all nations. Look again at verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. This multitude comes from all nations, all peoples. Heaven is not a world of white people. English is not the national language. Even today, even today, most Christians live in the majority world. They don't live live in the Cayman Islands. They they live in Brazilian shantytowns, and they live in Ugandan villages, and they live in in sprawling Chinese city. And part of the beauty, part of the beauty of, of heaven is its diversity, that when this multitude praises God, they'll do so in thousands of languages and dialects. When they sing his praise, they're going to accompany themselves with guitars and bilalaikas and didgeridoos and even vuvuzelas. It's going to be beautiful pandemonium. And this has always been God's plan. When he made the world and created humanity, he told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, right? Fill the earth with my image, fill the earth with my praise. When he called Abraham, he said that I'm going to bless you and through you, I will bless all the families of the earth. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, God's intention is not just to save lots of people, but to save people from every nation, from every people group. In all places, among all peoples, there should be a community of believers praising God and preaching about Jesus. And there's not. Do you know that there's not? According to some estimates, more than 40% of the world's population lives in what's called an unreached people group. It's It's a group of people that shares a common language and a common culture in which there's less than 2% Christians, which means there aren't enough Christians in the people group to effectively reach their own people without outside help. 40%. One in four, a quarter of the world's population consists of people groups in which there's less than 0.1% of Christians. There's effectively no gospel witness at all, which means one in four people in the world, one in four have an overwhelming likelihood of living and dying without ever hearing about Jesus. 
that he took God's judgment so they can be washed clean. One in four, they will face the trouble of life and the judgment of God without Christ, without hope, unless someone goes to them. So if this passage fills you with joy and hope as you think about God bringing you through every trouble, as you think about heaven, don't you want this to be for them as well? If you're glad you're going to be there around the throne, don't you want them there as well? This passage tells us that people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people will be gathered around the throne. God will bring them, and the way he will bring them is us. So in this sermon series, we've been talking about what it means to make disciples. Right? This is the mission that God has given to the church, to help other people trust in him and, and follow him. And we've been mainly talking about what that looks like here, locally. And that's essential, right? Disciple-making is normal Christian life. It's what you do where you are. But in order for this to happen, this great multitude from every nation gathered around the throne, in order for that to happen, some people are going to have to go. They're going to have to leave their lives where they are, their home cultures, and go to those who haven't heard and who won't hear. That's why, that's why Dan is on a ship, <laughs> helping Central and South Americans get mobilized to go around the world. That's why Jonathan and Michelle Rosa, who were here just a couple months ago, why they moved to Malaga, Spain. If you're a Christian, you should feel a responsibility in this. God is gathering a multitude of believers, a multitude of worshipers, and he's doing it through Christians who leave what is comfortable and go move their lives to places where Jesus is not known. And some of them do it as sent missionaries, right? Some of them do it through Christian organizations. They raise support and they go. Some of them do it just by moving their jobs somewhere else. They go as accountants, as nurses, as teachers, as systems administrators. They take a job where Christ isn't known and they do there what we do here. They get to know their neighbors, get to know their coworkers, love them well, talk to them about Jesus. And those who don't go participate by praying, do you pray for God to send laborers into the harvest, to send people places where he is not known? Those, those that you know who are there, do you pray for them consistently? Do you offer yourselves to God for that work? And we participate by giving as well, right? People who go, many of them go, they need support. They go full-time and they have a, a group of people who gives them money every month so that they can do it full-time. Dan, who we prayed for, Dan still has a need for financial support. I would love to connect you with him if that's on your heart. So whether you pray and or give and or go, we who have trusted in Christ, we should feel a responsibility in this, a great responsibility. This is on the church. We should also feel a great confidence in it because God says it's going to happen. God says he's going to do it. We've seen the end of the story. It happens. Around the throne of God, there will be North Koreans. There will be Azeris. There will be Uyghurs and Tajiks and Somalis. God will do it. He will use us. He's calling us to be faithful. He's calling us to engage. Okay. What's the big picture of Revelation chapter 7? It's this. God will bring his people from all nations, through all trouble, into his presence forever. Forever. Everyone, everywhere who trusts in Jesus will be gathered in this crowd around the throne. Will you be there? Have you put your trust in Jesus 
to, to wash you of your sins, to give you a white robe, to bring you through all trouble and into his presence. If you have, then you can know that no suffering, no hardship, no persecution can destroy your faith or separate you from his love. He will never lose you. And far from making you complacent, that confidence should give you courage to engage faithfully in the work of making disciples here and around the world through praying, giving, and going. Salvation belongs to God, and he intends to use us to bring it to all the nations of the earth. Wouldn't it be wonderful, just think about this, wouldn't it be wonderful to be in that crowd on that day, gathered around the throne, and to see someone who's there because you spoke up, because you stepped out, because you went. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this passage gives us such joy. It gives us such confidence to know that that our faith doesn't stand or fall on ourselves. That you are the one who brings us out of the tribulation. That you are the one who brings us through all trouble. That you are the one who will gather us in this place of peace and rest and praise forever. It's you. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life, that you gave your body, that you gave your blood so that we could be saved from the judgment of God, so that we could be accepted as beloved children. Thank you that your grace makes that available to all who will call upon your name, to all who will believe, so that anyone, anyone we work with, anyone we live beside, anyone in our family, anyone in countries around the world where it's not even legal to call on your name, that anyone can come. Thank you. And I pray, Father, that you would, that, that you would unsettle us, that you would, Father, that you would give us uh, a desire and a conviction to be part of this movement of the gospel around the world and that you would help us find our place. Help us find how you are calling us to be part of the nations being gathered to you. Help us as a church to find our place in that. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.